Hello, everyone, and welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and envies, to Watery Desh Show's second stream. This is our podcast series about give fiven, 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 given episode five. It's given episode five. I am the tongue-tied, stuttering, subtle doctor, and with me, as always, Watery Desh Show stalwart, returning and ever-present champion, king of the north, and any other cardinal direction, Shadon. Can I just point out something, folks? Can I just... I, I just have to say this. I have to get this off my chest. Like, like I've been enjoying giving thus far. I really have. But it has done me a massive service today because I rewatched episode five following watching three episodes of, you know, fucking Akikan, the fucking soda waifu show. <laughs> The possibly most turgid piece of shit I have ever witnessed in my entire life. It was the most incredible palate cleanser to have rewatched episode five after that. So if nothing else, no matter what happens at this point, like if the show literally fears off a cliff, it has it has kept me sane. It has done that for me. Holy shit. But yeah, you can look forward to me talking about that in the near future. I've got nine more episodes of that abomination to cover. Uh, but anyway, yes, we're here to talk today about Given Episode 5, The Reason. Um, just something quick to note, by the way, before we get started, is that it's been made uh, aware to me that the episodes of Given are named after songs. Um, my understanding is that these are British... Please don't say what I think you're going to say about the, the, the origin of the name of this song. Well, I had a Google search for it, and the only one that came up was Huberstank. No! I knew it! <laughs> Air horns going off. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) The shittiest song. Oh, I hate it so much. So bad. And that's been a great podcast. Thank you for joining us, folks. Have a fantastic evening. And the reason is you. That was a very faithful rendition of that song, Doc. Well done. So bad. It's so bad. I. <sighs> At least next week's we're gonna get a song named after a quality band. Mm-hmm. Next week is Creep. Yes, by Radiohead. Indeed. Um Well, I'm sorry that, you know, Aki is it Aki Khan? Yeah. Um Aki I, Okay. You don't have to dignify it by actually getting its name correct if I'm quite honest. <laughs> I'm sorry the Soda Waifu show is uh has got you down. Uh, thank you to the lovely patrons out there who have requested it and, you know, heaped suffering upon Waroi Desho. We always, you know, enjoy that. At least I'm enjoying it right now. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and you too, listener, if you're not a patron, you know, you can, but by being a, a member of our uh, tier bando of patrons, you, you too can you know, heap fiery coals upon us by requesting terrible anime that we have to then cover in podcast form. Mm-hmm. Um, what a what a delightfully tempting service that we're offering here, right? Um, but but given as you pointed out has has been the pure water to act as the palate cleanser and get that syrupy kind of tinny taste of soda out of your mouth. Tasted more like leaded paint to me. 
to get to get that that uh, just undesirable taste out of your mouth. We have, we have given here, mm-hmm. and you know if you're just tuning in suddenly for episode five, um, and you haven't heard our previous ones, this format is slightly different than our stream of thought uh, episodic coverage. Uh, in that show, we take time to run down a plot summary and maybe talk about some uh, the creators behind the show. But we're just looking at the art itself uh, this time and skipping the summary and just diving right into discussion. So, uh, Shadon, I will throw it to you okay. uh, to kick off our, our talks here. All right, then. So, first thing I'm going to talk about today, and I have talked about this concept before, but not about given specifically, is the inner monologue. So if you happen to have listened to our Shield Hero cast, uh, in which I also got very angry and very pissed off, because I think that's my messier these days. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I discussed the idea of the inner monologue in that particular uh, show and how it was used very, very poorly, basically to no effect whatsoever. Given, however, showing once again how things are done, does this differently. Uh, for context, I will need to just sum up some of the plot very briefly of this episode, but I'll only keep this brief. Uh... Is it Haruki or Haruka? I can't remember. I think it's Haruki, isn't it? Oh boy, I think it's Haruki. Yeah. Um, but I all I also always forget. Yeah, Haruki. Um, they he and Akihiko return back to Haruki's apartment uh, so Akihiko can stop the night because he's been drinking and he can't drive home because uh, he was on his motorbike. Uh, not that that really matters to him in the end because he seems to you know sober up in the space of two hours or so. Like, I don't know what the law is in Japan over there, but. You can't drink. You can't drink the night before and drive the following morning and get all the alcohol in your bloodstream. You will get docked for it. But then again, Akiko doesn't seem like he gives two shits about that. So whatever. But anyway, he's um, like, "Look, I can drive straight now. I won't be suspicious." <laughs> um. So while this is all going on, uh, Haruko is giving a uh, Haruki. Fuck's sake, uh, Haruki. <laughs> Haruki is giving an inner monologue to us, the audience about how he first met Akihiko and how he eventually fell in love with him. Like, that's not even, like, you know, subtextual. That is literally what is said. And Man, don't don't make the show gay, Shadon. Don't... Can we please not do that? Do you not like political things, Doc? Do, do, do you hate the idea of politics in your fiction and your media? I mean, it's just such a, like, libcock thing to do. Like, it's just everything. Because, like, the SJWs have infiltrated Japan now. Yes. And, and it's just in everything. Yes, well, I mean, you know, when I when some people say where we drop in boys, they mean a Fortnite game, but me, I mean to infiltrate <laughs> Japan and you know pervert it, yes, you know, exactly. to pervert its uh, agendas. Naturally, yeah. But anyway, which writers room we drop in? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that happens, and after that, all then concludes. Akiko, of course, wakes up, sobers up, and drives home. And this is when we get the reveal that there's someone living in his in Akiko's own apartment, whose name is not revealed yet. Um, but they seem Secret very comfortable. the boyfriend. Quite possibly. Could be, you know, but seems quite familiar with him otherwise. Yeah, so, yeah. here's the thing to note though, right? First off, um, let's talk about Haruki's inner monologue just on its own. The When I talked about in Shield Hero, the idea of the inner monologue is that it often acts as a fourth wall break. It's something, you know, that is used to convey information to the audience that the characters can't or won't, um divulge to other characters within the fictive world. So, essentially, Haruki is, like, telling us of his feelings to Akiko, but bear in mind that Akihiko is in that same room when this is happening, when he's having his hair, like, you know, tied back up. You can immediately see that there's, of course, you know, 
a reluctance or an inability to tell Akiko how he feels. But that he wants to at the same time because he is willing to confess it to someone, to us, the audience, specifically. So that's neat in its own right. That, you know, gives us an insight to his own, you know, feelings, but also reveals his reluctance to get them out there into the wild. But then let's consider this in the wider context of what happens afterwards. The show pays deliberate attention to Akiko's, like, journey home and, like, the various steps to gain to that point, including going to his apartment door. Now, quick pop quiz for you here, Doc. Did Akihiko have any mon- inner monologue in this episode? No. Nope. Not a Scooby about it. Not a damn thing. And I think this is a deliberate contrast between the two of them. Like, the Haruki is desperate, like, you know, to get some sort of feeling out there and therefore has to even relay it to, you know, an audience that he does not necessarily know even exists. It's just his own self, like, you know, in the self to try and, you know, keep that thought alive. Whereas whatever situation Akihiko is in with uh, this gentleman whose name we don't know yet, he conversely seems very comfortable with that because he doesn't need to relay who that is to us or any information about like you know any apprehension about going back at this particular hour you know waking this particular person up uh it's just time spent you know seek him journey home without any comment of any sort and i think again that's a very deliberate contrast between the two guys there and i really appreciate that yeah that was good i didn't think about the the lack of akihiko's inner monologue as um intentional in that sort of way but that's really neat um do you think we'll get one uh from him in a future episode maybe like a maybe a point of view yeah i I, I am of the opinion it must very much must be intentional because i mean if you were constructing the scene filmmaking wise if you wanted to show akiko like you know going home you could do it simply with two shots one of him getting on his bike and, you know, leaving uh, Haruki's apartment, and then one of him getting off his bike. We as the audience can then, you know, this is stuff that, like, was done in, like, Battleship Potemkin, of all things, way back when. That's, like, what the <laughs> earliest, like, Russian yeah. film period that brought this up. But, like, that's the most basic and simple way you could do that for the sake of time, which is simply just to, you know, show getting on the bike and getting off, in the same way that you could show, like, a plane taking off from the airport and then landing. You don't need to show the journey in between if the journey is not relevant. But it's relevant here, in my opinion, because you get that contrast of, you know, Haruki laying it all out to us as the audience, whereas Akiko's calm, like, you know, silence, uh, mental silence even, you know, shows them as, you know, having different mindsets on their own relationships and how they how they act. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> did you feel uh, sort of uh, that you could relate to... Haruki in any way like them oh don't don't even don't even get me started on the innumerable amount of times in my life where I thought to myself I really like this lady I think this lady's awesome and guess what it ain't getting out of this fucking skull that's for sure (laughs) it's happened more more times than I can care to mention but it's like I said in one of our previous given episodes like romance is for everyone this is a relatable feeling for I would argue everyone regardless of their orientation or gender like, how many times, you know, have you just want yourself, like, I'd love to tell her how I feel, or him, or, you know, etc. But you can't, or you won't, because of fear or paranoia, whatever you, whatever you might call it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, <laughs> I just, like, I love that scene when the first time uh, he comes out, Akiko comes over, mm. and... He's Haruki's <laughs> like, okay, I need just a moment. Uh not to actually tidy up, but to like 
sort of squat down on the floor, put his head in his hands, and just sort of scream. Yeah, <laughs> like, he needs, he oh needs a moment God. to breathe, like, because this is, like, a very intimate thing. Indeed, there, there, there is a lot of intimacy in this episode that I really appreciated that wasn't explicitly sexual. Like, you'd think to yourself, you know, that if it was going to be a boiler thing, they would go straight to, like, you know, kissing or even perhaps a little further than that. And indeed, there is mention, and this actually kind of caught me by surprise, just for how plainly it was stated, like, you guys had sex? I'm like, holy crap, they're just treating it as a normal thing. I mean, granted, the guy is, like, angry that the act itself happened, but I got the impression mm-hmm. from the way it was portrayed uh, that it was, you know, not a question of, you know, two guys, it was just more that these particular people, uh, these particular two individuals had done it. And so I was really impressed yeah. with that. But, let, like, the intimate elements of this episode I really appreciate. For one, um, let's talk about, like, the hair braiding thing. Now, unfortunately, I can't really relate to this. <laughs> oh, my oh. God, I need a toupee. I need, I need a hair transplant. <laughs> um, but, like, for me, like, part of being intimate with someone is not necessarily just, you know, simply things like kissing or, you know, dare I say, how do we put it, you know, putting the sausage in the wallet. That's one way of describing it. <laughs> Or the exhaust port, whatever you want to call it, you know. It doesn't need to be all that. Like, intimacy is often very contextualized, um, particularly around person's attributes or their likes or their wants or even their mm-hmm. fetishes, if you want to go so far as that. And so, you know, having that long hair that he has there and having someone tie and braid it for him. Like, again, gotta imagine this, because I unfortunately can't relate in that particular specific context. But that is certainly very, very intimate. And I can understand why, you know, Haraki there is, like, you know, even blushing a little bit. Like, he, this is something very personal yeah. for him. Uh, and then I also need to very quickly talk about the sec. I think this is the second time that uh, Akiko stops over, actually, which is um, he ends up falling on top of Haruki when, uh, <laughs> you know, he's in bed. And Haruki actually, like, reaches his arm out to try and hug and embrace him in that particular, you know, position. But he stops. Now, think of this scene, right? Like, Akiko is completely out cold. And. In theory, if he or, did that, or is he? Well, he, or is he? Yeah, you know, could be could be pulling an Ascalad, could be you know uh, <laughs> pretending to be asleep, but not really. Uh, anyway, so point being, um, he reached out to try and you know, um, like to hug him, to hold him closer, to embrace yeah. him, but then stops himself. And as I say, Akiko is asleep, so in theory, he possibly wouldn't have known about this or recognized this happened, and. It's only a hug, you know. It's just nothing too drastic, really. But yeah. I think that's why he stops himself because he realizes that he's actually asleep. Like, yeah, he's fallen on top of him, and he's like, "Oh, is this like a sort of a vulnerable kind of moment here?" And yeah. then, as his hand lowers, he hears the snoring, and that's when he stops. Yeah, he's respecting his consent a little bit, I would say. Grancy yeah. was mm-hmm. also trying to take a picture of him earlier while he was sleeping, but then he did before <laughs> stop himself. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The, but, the the chewing in the sleep. <laughs> but this this entire, like, the entire see of these scenes between these two, they felt very, very natural and very authentic. Like, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, if your feelings for someone, whether or not you can even express them. And there might be moments in which you, you know, think, self, maybe now's a good time to do that, but then you realize that, you know, rightly you should stop. You shouldn't do that. Um. So, yeah, I also have to admit, I was kind of surprised that we would get this much about Haruki and Akiko. Like, they, to me, mm-hmm. seem more like, well, supporting members of the band, quote-unquote. Uh, I didn't initially get the impression that they would potentially have as much examination devoted to their own relationship, uh, platonic as it is right now, and potentially something more in the future, as, say, um, Ueno Yama and Sato. 
So yeah, I'm really yeah. I'm really glad to see these two being fleshed out in something more substantive, and I'm very curious to see what happens next beyond simply the identity of this mystery man of mystery. <laughs> it's Maybe... gonna end up like being his brother. <laughs> he's probably a vampire. <laughs> That's my guess. Like he's just a vampire. I mean, no coffin and all that, but yep. you know, the giant sleeping bag coffin, possibly. Um... Yeah, I, uh, I, I too am glad that we are getting all of this. Um, I, it could be in service of a sort of contrast point to Haruki and um, not Haruki, um, Ritsuka and Mafuyu. Um, in, in later, you know that that I think that'll serve as an interesting uh, comparison and see what the differences are, see if there are any similarities. You know, maybe. Uh, this one may remain unrequited, and our our leading characters, uh, budding romance will not. Mm. Uh, who's to say? Um, can I talk about uh something that I enjoyed in this episode? Uh, from a like a storytelling point of view, Go on. was uh the airplane. Ah, the good old airplane. Yeah. Um, in a couple different scenes, um, starting at about, like, I think a third of the way through the show, uh, anytime there's like a window in the background or even the foreground, uh, showing the sky, we see an airplane, uh, that has flown across and we see a vapor trail behind said airplane. Mm -hmm. Now, I really like how this imagery dovetails with the idea that's especially gotten across in the montage of this episode that you know progress um progress in relationships progress in life progress in the band um things in life moving forward uh quickly things changing and the fact that like you know we have the character Uenoyama that's like recognizing it. I think he's reflecting on, you know, like, ah, oh, you know, Mafuyu can really, he can smile. And, uh, boy, like I have never been as on fire obsessed with something in, in so long. He can, he's being very aware of kind of, um, how his life and the lives of others, namely Mafuyu are progressing. And, you know, that's just like the vapor trail, uh, behind the airplane. But also like the airplane, we have at the at the end of the episode, um, a sort of a, a kind of plane crash of sorts when uh, the lady whose name I cannot recall uh, in art class with uh, Ritsuka sort of drops the bomb on you know the airplane that is his life. Like, hey. Uh, Mafuyu was dating someone from his middle school who committed suicide, and I heard that he's part of the reason why. I think he's dangerous. And that's the engine's cut from Ritsuka's airplane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Total plane crash. And so, uh, yeah, I just appreciated how that imagery uh, kind of reinforced um, what the story, what some of the elements of the storytelling were going for. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly there. The I do I did enjoy also the level of the you know whole plane flag overhead joke that was running for there where 
you know, do you think Sato likes you? And Yonayama goes back to him, I don't think he hates me in that kind of like, you know, incredibly <laughs> dense as concrete kind of response. Like, no, we don't mean like, yeah. we mean like that kind yeah, of like. Yeah. Oh, you silly, silly <laughs> bastard. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That was a that was a good use of that as a metaphor throughout the show. Um, okay, next point from me. Let's think. Oh yeah, let's actually talk about uh, Sato and basketball of all things. Let's talk about yes. let's, talk, let's talk about some three pointers here. Let's get some three point shots in. So, context again. Uh, Sato is, ends up taking part in like a casual basketball game uh, because uh, Uenayama is dead. He just keeps dying and coming back to life. <laughs> like the the true, you know, because he's just too tired. The true millennial amongst all of us, really. I mean, he's definitely capturing that spirit quite well. So. The t- two of Enoyama's friends, who I don't think are even named, uh, you know, invite him along to this game, and he goes along, and Enoyama then finds him at the basketball game, and Sato is just, like, making, you know, long shots like they're nothing. Like, <laughs> he's, he's he's doing some Michael Jordan stuff, you know. He I think Space Jam might have been his favourite film as a kid, quite possibly. His, uh, his J is wet. He's He's got it working, the jumper. It's just nothing but net, constant, like, no... No lucky shooters bounces, just just draining shit from everywhere. Exactly. And the reason I bring this up and, and mention it, it happens twice in this episode, by the way, is that this is something that Sato like wanted to do. Like he, you know, he's invited along and he didn't have to go, but he did. And it turns out he's very, very good at this, this playing basketball. Now, it makes me wonder then if that's meant to be, you know, a warning sign that he is doing the band thing. Not necessarily because he might want to, or that because it's where his skills are most suited. I mean, yeah, he's a good singer from what we've seen thus far, but he's also good at basketball. So is that a question, like, you know, of where he might be best suited to belong? I wonder. I know. I know. Um, you know, part of... Uh, and I don't think this uh, was either conscious uh, for Ue no Yama, or indeed was expressed in the show but part of me wonders if um you know he's if he were to see mafuyu doing this right like laughing and being really good at something else like if some sort of jealousy wouldn't kind of crop up like that mafuyu is not just his own not just his anymore like because before mafuyu was this sort of you know, caged bird, hmm. uh, and Uenoyama kind of has nursed him up to this point of self-confidence, and he's got him in his band, and Mafuyu is, like, totally within Ritsuka's universe, but we see him here doing things, like, on his own outside that, and, you know, I, I, I think it would be a very human response in some ways uh, for him to be a bit um, negative about this. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Do you have any more talking point stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, which I just the basketball stuff was just so funny. I mean, it was incredibly good. Um, I really, really love that. Uh, but uh, I guess so. There is there's one line in the show that really um, I don't know. I um, it, it really stuck. Uh, in my brain and again this is something like maybe i'm reading a lot into this here but but go with me Mm -hmm. um and and i think this really occurred to me because we've recently watched sorrows and my 
Babe. And, like, in that show, there is a lot, uh, a lot is, is, is said and illustrated about the two otter cops, uh, whose names escape me at the moment because... Real Mabu. Multi-syllable Japanese. Thank you! They're not even multi-syllable Japanese names. I, have that. I don't even have that excuse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Congratulations, Ryo you played yourself. I know, I did. <laughs> I totally did. Uh, so Reo Mabu, like, uh, the show speaks a lot about society's kind of um, constraints upon them as gay men. Um, that they have to kind of play these certain roles. Um, they're the, the freedom of expressing their identities in the ways that they would want to um, is restricted. Hmm. And in this episode of Given here, when Haruki sees Uedoyama, right? Um, he's the prodigy. He's an incredible guitar player. Uh, but he tries to talk to him after the show, and one of his uh, Uenoyama's fellow band members kind of begins arguing with Uenoyama, and they just kind of turn and walk away, and he's yelling at him, and Haruki says, boy, this is, what a waste. You know, if he was in my band, I'd, I'd give him a lot more freedom. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that that made just made me think about this as this whole idea of music and performing your your music as uh as a metaphor right for expressing not just your individuality in terms of humanness but in terms of your like uh gender identity your sexual identity and i'm reading my notes reading my notes so like ritska has like a lot of frustration with his current band right like he's getting yelled at uh here the implication is like he's not sticking to the structures the agreed upon structures of the performance right like you need to play this way for this long etc etc and he he keeps like pushing the boundaries or, or bursting out of those boundaries and like here Haruki is saying like I wouldn't constrain that if he was part of my band like I would let him play his music the way he wanted to play it and express himself in this totally free way mm -hmm. and so it, all of this to say is yeah um to, to just repeat my main point is that like this line really got me kind of considering uh considering this uh, whole way of looking at music and musical performance in this show and freedom of expression and kind of what it can mean for uh these like gay young men you know beyond like in kind of in abstraction and not just about the music but as like a metaphor for different for expressing these other things that are important to who they are hmm. absolutely all right so for my next talking point uh, let's talk about the ending scene between Oyeniyama and the lady whose name I also can't remember because I simply have the memory of a goldfish. Although actually that's apparently a Mervin myth, so maybe I'm maybe that's the wrong metaphor. Let's just say I have a bad memory. Let's just go with that. Um, 
this again is an editing thing, and this is also another way in which I think Given is really handling its storyboarding and editing and shot composition magnificently. Like, there's there's genuine craft behind this. Like, someone's got an intent to try and help us communicate this, uh, the messages of the show, um, over to us. So, this is, as Doc has said, the scene in which Renoyama is informed about Sasso's supposed history. I say supposed because... While we, of course, have certain pieces of the puzzle that he isn't aware of, we don't know exactly what the events were that led up to Yuki's suicide. And it is indeed, to me, true that the lady in question is using the truth or the history as a weapon to try and drive a wedge in, because she has her own feelings towards Ueniyama. I think that's not unreasonable to make a, a, a judgment there, because, yeah, well, she doesn't know the truth as much as anyone else does, really. Um, but anyway, what I need to talk about here is that Apart from the airplane stuff that you mentioned, take a look at the shots of this scene and how they're all composed together. There's only one shot in the entirety of this conversation in which Oyuniyama and that lady are framed in the same shot. You can see both of them. There's one in which you get an over-shoulder shot of Oyuniyama, but you barely otherwise see him. The rest of them are just both of them on their own, including like them both being in the bottom left and right corners of the screen, mm-hmm. with a lot of empty space mm-hmm. otherwise around them. And I think that this is illustrative of the of their two mindsets like that for as much as like you know she is saying this like on the surface to help protect Ueniyama uh, <laughs> that is naturally happening it's for her own purposes mm-hmm. like he's not a part of her thinking on this in that kind of sense and in turn well we know that Ueniyama is not really all that interested in her in any given way oh ho there's another one for the tip jar um, hey. so I think this deliberate segregation of them you know from each other in terms of the shot composition and where they're framed is very deliberate to show like both their mindsets towards each other and try and help us get to the truth of why she's doing this. Um, and also there's a lot of like, again, very strong close-up shots, like as the reveal happens that helps things feel very jumbled, like and very chaotic as you know, the sudden emotion of the revelation sweeps over Inayama. So again, a lot of very, very intentional craft and decision-making here in terms of the filming, rather than just simply being, say, re- shot, reverse shot, or just, well, we're going to have a long shot of them speaking in the same frame, like, you know, for a solid two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, we totally have established and and seen that given uh, the the people behind it, like have they take more care than that 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 is something we should not expect from the show like if they were to do that i would i would feel uh quite cheated at I, this point I they've, would they've set the bar of they set the bar of expectation much higher hmm. absolutely do you have so a question for oh, you? God, sorry yeah well question do you do you think circling back to the thing we talked about at the beginning uh akihiko and haruki um, do you think that uh, Akihiko is being mean in any way? Like, how how aware do you think he is of Haruki's feelings? Do you think there's any leading on that's happening? Um, I mean, certainly we see in the scene when Haruki burns, like, singes his hair, uh, and Aki is is holding it um and talking to him i mean maybe we're just seeing it from a sort of hyper stylized like point of view like a very intense point of view of haruki but like i don't know um 
if we're not, that really felt. Uh, maybe that's just the maybe that's just the way they joke with each other, and maybe that's all. Yeah. Akihiko it could it could, it could be banter. But the thing about banter, though, often between people who otherwise might be interested in each other, is that you can then conflate that banter yes. with being genuine interest. There could be that ambiguity yeah. to it. And I think that you know totally. maybe maybe that's the case on Akiko's part, where it is just banter to him. But for Haruki, of course, he may see it as something more. But then again, he's operating on confirmation bias anyway, because he already has had strong feelings for Akiko for a very long time. It's complicated, man! My god, relationships are difficult. Who'd have fucking thought? <laughs> Breaking news at 10, back to the studio. It is, and, you know, I, I think if Haruki continues, you know, I think at the beginning he says that ever since he sort of knew he liked Akihiko in which that that moment is really cool the way that they shoot the, like the different shots and the, the cutting of uh like the the first time they show Haruki's eyes meeting Akihiko's it's very slow hmm. to indicate I think that like the moment for Haruki is like a very long meaningful significant kind of moment hmm. um and then they kind of recut it and show it immediately or where like they show Akihiko sort of looking at him really quickly and then some burnt up cigarette falling off the end of Haruki's smoke and uh, to me that just said like in reality this moment lasted you know a a bit a a millisecond yeah uh, a few but like as far as the significance to a person's life it was huge. Yeah. Um, and so, but when, when they, ever since they first met, like he said that he's waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to have to, or I suspect, I suspect he's going to have to go like move beyond that. Um, Cause I don't know if he just continues to wait for something to happen. If like his, you know, this might pass him by if he sort of, continues with that mantra hmm. the close-upness as well of the of that shot like it's to put us in place of the intimacy of it like when you're that close yeah. to someone like you know you're in their physical space even that's what it's meant to make us as the audience feel um to get back to your original question i don't i think i think something you need to distinguish when it comes to this kind of behavior is if it's deliberate or an unintentional because you can very easily you know do things that you know you have no malicious intent um towards a person but can still cause them harm or can you know over time you know lead them the wrong way or give them the wrong impression now that isn't also necessarily your fault i should stress it does take two to tango in that regard you know you can only your actions always have to be interpreted in some way or another by someone so i think in akiko's case like the very cavalier and casual way in which he asks for you know to stay over I think it's a case of him being so familiar and comfortable with uh, Haruki as a friend that he feels it's all right for him to ask that. I mean, I to give my mm-hmm. own experience, like I actually literally asked a friend of mine at a tournament out yesterday to give me a lift home because we it was on the way, and I I paid him for that. But then you might, might still want to maybe be self-critical about it and say, well, should you really be relying necessarily on that person to take you back because you want to stay longer and have another pint or two? Same kind of deal, funnily enough, um, as Akiko. So I think that it may be a question of, you know, not realizing what's happening here. Like, not realizing 
firstly, I think Haruki's feelings, but also secondly, that, you know, that just because the, you know, the privilege of being able to stop over has been offered before, maybe he shouldn't necessarily exploit it all the time. Maybe he shouldn't bring his bike out if he wants to get pissed. <laughs> you know, yes. just, 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 just a thought. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I think that in Akiko's case, I don't think there's a single shred of maliciousness to it, but I think it's just maybe a bit of ignorance, perhaps. That would be my. I hope so. That'd be my assessment. Yeah. I I would like to think so as well. Hmm. I would like to think so as well. Um, so that those are those are my main discussion points that I had. Do you have anything else? Um, I will mention very quickly that we do learn in this episode the name of Ueniyama's new band, The Seasons. Oh right, right, and because uh, you know, and I only caught that watching it the second time for whatever reason. I guess I had looked away or looked down to take notes. Yep. But, um, uh, we got we got a good comment on YouTube that yes. pointed that out. That, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've actually got it. Have I have it on my screen actually. So I want to give a quick oh, shout perfect. out to a. I'm going to probably completely butch this. So again, apologies in advance for being a dirty, filthy British gaijin. But Wushad Swiban, Swiban, I don't know. I'll roll with that. You know who you are. Uh, yep. Pointed out that all of the various band members' names are related to seasons in some way. Uh, so we've got Yuki as Snow Slash Happiness, and then Mafuyu as Midwinter, so still winter. Uh, Haruki mm. is Spring, Akiko is Autumn, and Ritsuka, or Uniyama, is Summer, due to various elements of their uh, names when you take them out. So yeah, we literally have the four main band members have, you know the names of the seasons in them so it's quite appropriate one might one might wonder you know if they were self-aware of that or not but it certainly fits um (laughs) and that can then also in turn you know give us some um some insight into their um relationships because you'll note that for example Mm -hmm. Uenoyama and Mafuyu like you've got him uh, Uenoyama as summer and Mafuyu as winter and that actually I think reflects their personalities quite well because you can see the way yeah. is very, very like extroverted and very, you know, um, passionate. You know, he's very fiery, mm-hmm. dare I say. Uh, and Mafuyu, like, he's not cold or cruel or callous, like you might say of Windsor, but he is very, you know, he's very chilled out. He's very introverted. Uh, he doesn't seem to have a lot of activity going on. Like, he doesn't say very much. He's not, like, constantly, like, you know, yelling at the top of his voice or getting fired up about much. He's very, very chill. So... I think that that's... Is certain... he also... Is, is he also coming? Oh, no. Because that's have... what they always say about winter. Yeah, winter but you'd have to say in the context of the show, you bastard. <laughs> I've got a dirty mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he is in many, many doujins sold at Comicette this year. I'm sure. I'm totally fucking sure of it. <laughs> if, you, oh. if you're gonna do a dojin, like, there's a title for you. Winter is coming. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Uh, I think otherwise I've covered everything I want to discuss about this particular week. Um, I say that, mm-hmm. I'm generally quite pleased to see that we get Haruki and Akiko gain on the action uh, in their own way and having their own little subplot develop rather than just strictly being, you know, them as secondary B-list cast members. Um so I'm glad that Givens take its time to juggle that all together. Hopefully we do start getting some more delivery on the actual backstory between Mafuyu and Yuki, though, because we're almost halfway through the season and we still have very scant info on it. The pacing seems deliberately slow, which, yeah, that, that's, that, that's fine, you know. There's not necessarily anything wrong with a slow burn. 
But we do want to, you know, start having the mystery unravel a little bit. And it's not even a question, again, yeah. like I've said so many times before, of us learning the truth necessarily, but more that the actual mystery itself is confronted directly. We don't necessarily need answers right away, yeah. but rather we need the characters to start taking affirmative action towards that. Yeah, and we don't want things to have to be rushed. Yeah. Uh, we also don't want, a... uh, you know, next episode previews with, like, you know, sinister music <laughs> overtones, like, as you said to me, that makes me, oh, God, shit, God, go down! And then, no, it, it really, really didn't. <laughs> Seriously, last week, it was, like, so... It was pretty ominous. Yeah. And then... And then a couple weeks ago, you had the one that was all about uh, Riska grabbing the collar of Mafuyu, and it turned out to be like not a super conflict-heavy episode. That it's its moments, and uh, for, for, you know what? One might think that they know what we want, and they're they're teasing us. <laughs> oh, are they are they are they, are they, are they tying up, are they tying up the ponytail? I don't have. Thanks, given makers, <laughs> you bastards. Uh, but next week will be interesting because it'll be we'll be at the halfway point and maybe we can kind of take a step back and evaluate like you know if we feel like we're we're in a good place with the show as far as the overall narrative um hopefully i mean you know ueno yama has been uh presented with this information finally you know the the rumors have been relayed to him and so now that he has the information maybe we will say i mean it's pain as much as you don't want it part of me doesn't want it to happen you know part of me like you were saying very much does so we can kind of get the ball rolling on these things like now ritsuka can talk to mafio about this and we can figure it out together Mm -hmm. absolutely well uh, i think that's gonna do it then for for given episode five colon given in space <laughs> um uber stags back the, re- the recently <laughs> god no uh, is that is that is that yeah. your one of the buttons i can push where i need to like set you off like if you ever threaten with like you know make me watch a shitty anime i'll just say to you back doc next time you make me do that i'll end up like you know editing huber songs into every single podcast we do oh, please don't do it. i've got the sword of damocles <laughs> here bitch <laughs> it's so bad man it's so bad uh yeah i oh i and i think the it it uh it, it's in my craw so much because in high school i was very into new metal and you know who was is one of those sort of late new metal uh really you know big band crossover bands uh and it's just it's part it's it's bad but then it also brings up the shame of you know me listening to things like ultra spank and uh you know deftones quite a bit whereas now i can't i just can't do it (laughs) Uh, okay all right well everybody this has been second stream given episode five uh we thank you so much for joining us uh, our lovely patrons who make this possible. Indeed, thank you. We adore all of you. Uh, you know, in the Discord, you're there, we're there, we're hanging out, we're talking about shows, talking about things. Watching, it's a fantastic w- w- time. Watching me gradually lose my fucking mind. 
<laughs> that's happening. That, yeah, if the, you want to see that happen in real time, folks, you want to see me just like you know mentally disintegrate. Uh, feel free <laughs> to subscribe to us for as little as two dollars a month. You'll get access to our Discord. Yes. Uh, but we do have other yep. perks as well, uh, such as being able to uh, post questions in our chat about the show we're currently mm-hmm. covering, which is in this case is Vinland Saga. Uh, you can also then, if you subscribe to our five dollars here, actually request us to watch shows. So if you want to make me watch another awful show, uh, please don't. But I can't ultimately stop you. So you have that. <laughs> right uh so yeah uh, please do definitely check us out uh feel free to also give us a like subscribe on itunes soundcloud and youtube if you have the time as it'll help our discoverability but as always uh thank you all very much for taking the time to join us with us covering given and we will indeed be back next week with episode six i'm a creep um i can't remember the rest of the lyrics unfortunately i haven't listened to radio in a while God, does that mean we got, does that mean that you know we're gonna get an episode later on which is gonna be called OK Computer, which is where's like say Haraki for next one off Tinder? Paranoid Android. Uh just a rock opera episode. Yeah, no, okay, I just processed what you said and got it. <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't happen? <laughs> oh my sweet god. Uh he's Ashadon Tin Tin. I'm at the subtle doctor. Um uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. Embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night.